0: Children are dismissed back to praise factory, and am I on now? Was I on? Now I'm on. Okay, um, I can never tell. If you turn in your Bible to the book of Romans, uh, we're going to pick up in chapter 14. This is probably going to go across two different uh, two different messages, and we'll we'll move into Romans 15 because there's one common theme here. We're going to read starting in. Uh, romans 14 verse 1 we'll read all the way to the end of the chapter and just uh understand and and hopefully absorb what, what paul is talking about here and then we'll pray and we'll turn to the explanation of god's word uh so paul says in in romans 14 verse 1 as for the one who is weak in faith welcome him but not to quarrel over opinions one person believes he may eat anything while the weak person only eats vegetables One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats eats in honor of the Lord since he gives thanks to God, while the one who abstains abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to the Lord. For none of us lives to himself and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord both of the dead and of the living. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or you, why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it is unclean. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. By what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. So do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. Do not, for the sake of food, destroy the work of God. Everything is indeed clean, but it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. Let's pray. Lord, we come before you this morning and we ask you to speak to us from this word. We know that the scriptures say that every word in this word is breathed out by you and therefore has purpose and meaning and ought to speak to us in our lives. Lord, it has been given to us to strengthen us in your service. It's been given to us to instruct us regarding your will. It's been given to us to help us to live in a manner that pleases you, Lord. And this text, this sermon, brings us to a place where we need to grapple with the idea that our love for our brothers and sisters in Christ is of paramount importance that when we split into factions and divisions and parties and we disagree and we quarrel and we fight, we make a poor showing in the eyes of the world. Lord, you said they will know that you are my disciples because of your love for one another. And so we pray, Lord, as we think about showing grace and kindness and compassion and love, and we think about dedication and devotion to the truth, we pray that you would help us to sort through this subject and to live in a way that honors you each and every day. Lord, we want to lift you up and see you exalted. We don't want to compromise on the truth But we also don't want to be those who live with a lack of grace. And so we pray that you would put good boundaries around us and you would convict and convince us in the heart of the truth of how to love and accept one another. We pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. I can remember as a a kid seeing a comedian by the name of Emo Phillips. Now many of you may not remember this guy at all, but he was a just an odd looking guy. I don't remember much of the content of anything that he ever said, but he 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 styled his hair. It just looked like this band of black hair that just like plopped on his head. He looked he's he's real thin and, and, and shriveled and he always looked like a, a swift a strong wind would just like blow him right away. But he was funny and he would always he would when he was telling his, his jokes he would um he would say that he was throwing out joke grenades right you know that, that he, would, he just said a bunch of stuff that was not funny, and then later on in his routine he would start saying all the punch lines and and then people would start laughing and he would he would do this like those were the grenades like now they're they're going off right and he was just a funny funny guy who I always thought whatever happened to that guy and uh, as I was, as I was researching and and, uh, focusing on on getting ready for today, I remembered a story that I had heard and I looked it up and there he is in 2005 saying that he told, by popular opinion, the funniest religious joke ever. They did a a survey and they, uh, they, they listed out a bunch of religious jokes and asked people what's the funniest joke and this guy won. Now he said when they... When they announced that he was the winner, they didn't give him credit, which is actually kind of funny. Um, and, uh, and so nobody knew that he was the one who told the joke, and so he had to document it and prove it, that he was the one who told it first, and other people have, have told it since then. But, but here, here's, here's what's interesting about this for me. Why is the funniest religious joke funny? What is it that people laugh at? when they laugh at a religious joke, okay? Let me, let me, let me read it to you. I'm gonna read it, tell it, okay? This is what he said. Once I saw a guy on a bridge about to jump, and I said, don't do it. And he replied back, nobody loves me. I said, God loves you. Do you believe in God? And he said, yes. I said, are you a Christian or a Jew? And he said, a Christian. And I said, me too. Are you Protestant or are you Catholic? He said, Protestant. I said, me too. What denomination? And he said, Baptist. Uh. I said, me too. Northern Baptist or Southern Baptist? He said, Northern Baptist. I said, me too. Northern conservative Baptist or Northern liberal Baptist? He said, northern conservative Baptist. I said, me too. Northern conservative Baptist Great Lakes Region or northern conservative Baptist Eastern Region? He said, northern conservative Baptist Great Lakes Region. I said, me too. Northern conservative Baptist Great Lakes Region Council of 1879 or northern conservative Baptist Great Lakes Region council of 1912 he said northern conservative baptist great lakes region council of 1912 i said die heretic and pushed him over <laughs> that by uh, popular vote in 2005 is the funniest religious joke ever told why does the world think that's funny why do we laugh i think it, it in, in at the center of, of of this, like at the root of the issue is we realize the foolishness of the way that the story is told, that somebody who starts with care and compassion, walking in love and living out the mission that that Jesus has sent us on, right, we can break down into these little factions and these little uh, these little groups and then suddenly based on how granular and how close we want to get to the details we now say this person is no longer someone i care about they are now my enemy what paul says in romans chapter 14 15 is he's speaking about personal matters things of matters of conscience, he says that our goal is to be walking in love and depending on how we act with our personal freedoms determines whether or not we are walking in love. Now, he splits the church up into two groups here. He talks about the strong and the weak. And he tells the church very clearly that we who are strong, this is Romans fifteen 1, we who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves, right? So he's setting the stage here and saying within the church, there will those, there will be those who are strong in faith and those who are weak. And those who are strong need to understand that the goal is to create the family of God, the gathering place of believers, and not to say the weak ones got to go, right? And only the strong will survive. That's not walking in love, okay? The overriding principle here is that we are to live lives that are characterized by love, This is what we see in Romans chapter 13, right? That we're not to owe anyone to anything except what? To love one another. That's verse 8. And then Paul lists out a bunch of commandments, right? We're not to do this. We're not to do that. But the, the summation is you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. That is the high goal, the chief commandment towards how we treat other people, right? The, uh, the, the love that we ought to demonstrate towards one another. Now, what Paul says at the beginning here is, as for the one who is weak in faith, we are to welcome them. We are to accept them. We're to love them. And then he adds, but don't do that to quarrel over opinions, right? Loving and accepting people and welcoming them into the fellowship does not mean that we mark them out for immediate fixing and then go to work on them, right? You know, like, yeah, 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 come on in here. We love you. We accept you. We're going we're gonna, uh, to start to tinker with your wiring. We're going to change you because we say that you're acceptable to us, but ultimately you're not, right? We're to love and to accept them genuinely, now, the weakness that's being described here is not a weakness of will or of character, but of faith, okay? The, the, the weakness of faith is a weakness in assurance that their faith permits them or allows them to do certain things. Does that make sense? Right? It's not, it's not that, that we're to look at somebody who is weak in will and who continually falls into sin and say, that's fine, like, overlook it, it's, it's cool, just keep sinning, no problem or uh, somebody who is, who is weak in their strength of character uh, who, who needs to learn a greater degree of self-control or who needs to learn how to hold fast to the truth and, and to resist temptation. It's not that we say to them, that's fine, continue to live that way. Instead, people who are full of Uh, indecision or who are nervous about things or who are frustrated at a lack of clarity on certain issues in the Bible and things that the Bible says don't do this or do that and then in other places it's not quite so clear and they're like what am I supposed to do how am I supposed to live and then they start building in a rule system for themselves I'm gonna I'm gonna do this I'm not gonna do that somebody might look at that and say we're free in Christ We are are free. We are not under the burden of all those regulations and rules and commands. People who think that way ought not look at others and say they're weak and we have no time for them. They need to be fixed and corrected. No, Paul says, accept them and love them. Now, he breaks this, this, this group down into, or I should say, scholars have broken this down into four different groups, right? The four possibilities. One is that the people that he's talking about here are people who used to worship idols, right? And in, in Roman times, uh, many times they would, they would take meat and they would sacrifice it to an idol, but then they would rescue it. Right, right before it was charged with crisp, and then they would they would take the rescued meat and they would sell it in the market. Right, so in Rome they are uh, grilling, you know, uh, to the glory of Zeus. Right, you know, and then they take the meat off of the barbecue and they put it on a plate. And somebody runs it out the back door of the temple, and somebody buys it and takes it home and eats it. Right, you know, and what they're saying is people who used to worship Zeus but now worship the Lord say, "I'm not going to buy that meat or eat it because that's." it's tainted you know it's it's been roasted to the glory of Zeus how could I eat that and the second group um, by the way uh, one of the reasons we don't we don't believe that is the case is that Paul approves uh, that, that, that somebody um, could eat this way whereas over in in first Corinthians he says if they know that that the meat has been sacrificed to idols you shouldn't eat it but he doesn't bring that up here so we're thinking maybe it's not that group scholars uh, some scholars say no. The second group is a group of aesthetics who say that, that depriving themselves of things makes them holier and purer, and so no wine, no meat. But Paul will say in First Timothy that nothing that's been created by God is to be rejected if it's received by faith. third group is a group of legalists. These were, these were people who said we need to continue to hold on to the Jewish code in order to be acceptable by God. We need to obey the Old Testament in order to live in a way that's pleasing to God. And so they uh, keep kosher or vegetarian, you know, and they observe the Sabbath and they honor all kinds of days so that, um, so that they can be right. And then they add Jesus into the mix and they say this is what God intended Now, we don't believe Paul is speaking to that crowd because in the book of Galatians, he says, if anybody adds anything to the gospel, let him be accursed. right? But here he's being very kind towards these people who believe this way. And so we don't think it's any of those three groups. This is what I believe, that there were in Rome Jewish Christians who thought that it was better for them to continue to commit to the Jewish regulations regarding diet and days. They kept kosher. They they just wanted to stay in this frame of life because culturally speaking, they said, this is where we came from. This is what we're used to. This is the way that we're going to live. It was their tradition. It was their pattern. And so the Romans who were around them, who, who never knew any of this, were like, why do you live this way? Stop it, you know? Like, look at me in this great big plate of meat, you know? I'm, I'm happy over here. And, and, and the Jews were like, eh, you know, you need to eat this kind of meat, sacrificed in this kind of a way, you know? prepared this kind of a way. What happens... In an environment like this where two groups have drastically different opinions of the way that things should be done, of the way that people live, is that the strong and the weak begin to compete with one another. The strong look down on the weak, and the weak despise the strong. This is the language that Paul uses. When we fast forward to Paul's vision for the church, if you flip over to uh, Romans 15, Paul says this in Romans 15, 5, the the divisions between weak and strong, meat-eating, not meat-eating, vegetable-eating, not vegetable-eating, wine-drinking, not wine-drinking, right? These these, uh, groups that are colliding are replaced by something else in Paul's vision of the church, and that is a church that loves one another and worships the Lord together. Look at Romans fifteen five, where Paul says, May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another, in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. When Jesus speaks to the church, when he is instructing them of things of first importance, the last words of Jesus before he goes to the cross in the upper room, he tells them, by this all men will know that you are my disciples. He's he's saying this is the main evidence that's going to go out to the world that's going to make them stand up and take note that you are the people of God. He says, it's your love For one another. Now, within the church, there are always going to be things that people disagree about that the Bible doesn't necessarily thoroughly, clearly speak about. That it doesn't dig down deep into the details and give us all the instructions about the way that we should live, the way that we should practice certain things. The Puritans used to fight, and they fought vigorously over whether or not believers should exchange wedding rings. Isn't that interesting? It's not something that I think most of us think is, is controversial today. It was a yesterday debate. Within the, uh, the Church of England, Christians fought over mode of baptism, right? And, and we might think, oh, that's like, do you sprinkle the infants? You know Or do you baptize the adults? No, their battle was over, do you pour water over someone or do you dunk them? And there was a, a hot debate in the church over that. Christians have debated over whether or not people should wear cosmetics or jewelry or should they drink alcohol or not, or you know what charismatic gifts remain, or are signs and wonders real? When will Jesus return? what's the nature of the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy right? And what happens is as these questions are in the, the the church and they're they're interacted with believers can change from people who love the Lord and are seeking to live out his mission to now two people who disagree on a on a subtopic of scripture are now at war with one another, fighting and building parties, building factions of people, one who listens to this person and the other who listens to that person. In some towns, right, it, it becomes Who's got the hottest and the best worship? And the traditional church is looked down on, right? And the, the the contemporary church is the one that's getting it done, and they're successful, right? But what happens is the traditional church says, "Well, they're compromising. They're compromising the truth. They're obviously doing something wrong if they're packing people in there." We're going to hold fast to the truth. And the truth is that sometimes what we're really just dealing with is the fact that we do things differently. We have different convictions, and there's a failure to love one another. Paul says this, using the example of what was in front of the church at that moment. Food, days, right? Wine drinking, not wine drinking. He says that these things are not the essentials. In verse 17, he says this, The kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. And he calls believers to careful, loving unity when he says, Do not, for the sake of food, destroy the work of God. He's saying, don't tear the church apart over these side issues. Don't tear the church apart. Focus on what is essential. Now, he's not telling us not to have deep convictions because in the very next chapter, he's going to say, watch out for false prophets, right? He's going he's to call people to discernment and to ask deep questions. But what he's saying here is avoid heaping on judgment and saying this one is worthless. This one is inferior. This person is Totally not saved, you know, they're obviously a compromise, they're obviously wrong. We can find these divisions in churches when when people want to help the poor, right? Locally or they want to send their money across the ocean to take the gospel where it's never been and so churches are, are, are focused on local action and or they're focused on International work, you know, somebody wants to focus on education other person wants to to focus on feeding and so these two ideas become uh, ones that that compete instead Paul's focus is that the very real differences that Christians have with one another about different theological questions ought not to divide our fellowship together in Christ. We ought to have the ability to have diverse opinions on things. I don't know about you, but I find that when someone challenges my opinions on things, I have to think about my opinions on things and if ultimately I'm right, my opinion or position on something is stronger, right? Not weaker, because I'm like, I'm going to think about this, and I'm going to you know, plan out all my, my arguments and my rationale behind it, and my, my position gets stronger, right? And hopefully I'm not being totally stubborn, you know, and if I'm not being stubborn, maybe if somebody's right, I'll say, you know what, you're right. You're right about that. Paul gives us a prescription here for accepting and loving God one another. He appeals to those who believe in Jesus. He's going to take the the doctrines that we believe are precious the cross, the resurrection the coming of Christ and, and judgment and he's going to apply them to the way that we treat one another. And he's going to say that these things his death his resurrection, the fact that he's coming again, the fact that we will all be judged have to do with the way that we love one another. One pastor called his sermon on this text, high doctrines for humble duties. Paul's prescription for division is this. He says, as for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. Accept the one who is weak in faith. If somebody around you is immature, untaught, mistaken, or weak in faith, we're to accept them as our brother or sister in Christ and not to sneer at them or judge them or think less of them, but instead to say, that is my brother or sister. The word that's used here, welcome, describes the way that uh, Onesimus received Paul in the book of Philemon welcomed him in as if he were family it it describes the way that when paul right and his uh, group of fellow sailors when their boat was destroyed and they all washed up on the island of malta you know the maltese not the maltese falcon the maltese people right said hey you're freezing to death right you're starving you've been through a shipwreck hey come and sit by this fire you know like they welcomed them The Bible says that one day Jesus will welcome us into his presence that's what we're to do with fellow believers as for the one who is weak in faith welcome him for God has welcomed him our treatment of others ought to be similar to the treatment which God has displayed towards us think about it individually speaking who are the worst guests in the household of god ever right each and every one of us none of us has a right to be there none of us is born acting right Yet god says i will make you my child i will bring you into my family i will bring you into my fellowship i accept you on the basis of what my son has done and he brings us in now Accept, tolerate, is a dangerous word today. Many people uh, cry for unconditional acceptance and uh, tolerance. That's a a battle cry. But one way to to think about this is to say this, that, that justification, the fact that God declares a sinner righteous in his eyes, is him declaring that he accepts them. And if someone says, I believe that I am a sinner and I am saved by the grace of God, by the goodness of Christ, by his work on the cross, then we are to believe about that person that God has accepted them. We submit ourselves to the Lord in humility and repentance. And when we do that, God extends his grace toward us. His love is without condition, but his acceptance is built on these conditions, that we look to Christ in faith. He calls to us, we look to him, and then he sends his spirit to live within us. He declares us to be righteous. And so when someone says, I'm a sinner saved by grace, we should look at that person and say, that is someone whom God has welcomed. I ought to welcome them as well. Romans 15, 7 says, Welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. What is the the condition of acceptance here? We're to accept one another without debate over our misgivings or our quarrels or opinions. We're to respect each other's opinions. Not use the Bible to smash one another, you know, or to determine who is a heretic who needs to be thrown off the bridge, but instead to say, This is my brother or sister in Christ. They may be in error. I will reason with them. I will discuss with them. I will care for them. But I will always welcome them and show them love and kindness. When I went to Africa, I believe it was in 2014, I headed over there. With the idea that socialized medicine was a tool of Democrats, which was designed to destroy our social system and undermine anything that worked in healthcare, right? Has anybody ever heard this doctrine, right? This is this is the red doctrine that comes out of the red news machine, right? That we know of as any conservative you know News agency, and you right now people right, might be like, yeah, that's exactly what socialized medicine is, right But I get over to Africa and I'm talking to Dr. Margie, and, and, and so she starts describing things, and I say, "You're talking about socialized medicine, right And she says, "Well, yes, and then she starts talking about how uh, the government funds an anti- malaria program and the government funds a. Weight uh, gaining program for people who are underweight, and how uh, the government uh, funds all of these vaccines and screenings and testings, right? And suddenly I realized wait a minute, I, I come from a place where all I've ever heard is that this thing is bad, and I've rejected the concept outright that anybody who participates in this thing is bad. Everyone who works in healthcare over in, in Zambia works for the government, they are part of the Ministry of Health. Isn't that an interesting term? the Ministry of Health. And so as we were talking, I suddenly realized like, whoa, you need a, a bigger worldview, right? Maybe this actually works over here. Maybe it won't work in the United States for this reason or that reason. You know, I'm not really, I'm not sharp enough or smart enough to fix healthcare, right? I don't, I don't know that anybody is, the system's massive, there's a lot of money involved. The news does a fantastic job confusing everybody on every single issue that ever comes out. You know, I'm, okay, I'm, I'm showing you my highly skeptical political opinion here at this moment. Um, but over in Africa, right? I was, we were just talking with Margie a couple weeks ago. She said, we don't even give out soy anymore. We don't give out the feeding stuff anymore. And I'm like, really? Why? Did you lose money? She said, people don't need it. We've reversed the trend on, on malnourishment. Like I could have argued with her, right? I could have I could have taken a position that she was wrong, but instead, instead saying, This is my sister in Christ who's here living out the gospel and and I want her to speak to me and to to share with me her perspective, and I'm gonna talk back to her and I'm gonna share things with her, suddenly my opinion changes. We embrace the truth of the good news about Jesus and we sharpen and challenge each other on every other subject here is Paul's big truth I don't even know that I'm gonna get through the majority of what I have to say this morning Um, but but this is this is Paul's big truth he says don't sneer or condemn the weak person, the person who is weak in faith. And then he supports this with four ideas. He says that we're to welcome our fellow believers because God has welcomed him, verses 2 and 3. One person believes he may eat anything, right? His faith frees him to do so, while the weak person eats only vegetables, right? The person who is committed to this kind of diet says, I'm going to honor the Lord uh, by, by not eating contaminated meat in, in my view, right? And, and, and so they have differing opinions. How should those two people view each other? Paul says, first, they ought to view each other as those who are welcomed by God. So when we look at another believer and we say their practice is different than mine, their, 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 their approach to things is different, you know, the things that they value are different. If they have confessed faith and trust in Christ, we're to say that is someone whom God has accepted, and I ought to accept them as well. Verse 3, Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. The strong might look at the weak and say, Why are they so weak? Pathetic? Pity them. The weak might say, those people, they're so, they think they're so strong, but they're taking such a massive risk. They're such liberals. Look at them. But Paul says, don't despise or condemn one another because God has accepted us both. The way that we determine how we should treat each other is by saying, what is God's attitude towards this person? Right? Right? Now we could, we could bring out the golden rule here and say we treat them the way that we want to be treated, but, but we could err there, right? Because we could say, well, I was wrong, you know, totally and utterly and completely wrong. I want someone to correct me you know, and fix me. But instead, Paul calls us to say God has welcomed this brother or sister, and so we ought to accept them as well and welcome them. Second, we welcome someone else because Christ died and rose and is the Lord. He introduces uh, an analogy here where he talks about how inappropriate it would be to mess in someone else's work affairs, right? Imagine if if somebody were to come and visit you at work, right? And uh, you guys are going to go to lunch together and they walk in and they're like, hey, how are you? And you introduce them, this is my friend. And they immediately start correcting everything everybody's doing in the office. You'd be like, whoa, no, 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 not appropriate don't do that restrain yourself right come on like i just i just brought you in here for a second let's let's get out of here right it's inappropriate to judge someone else's worker someone else's team member what paul says here in verse four is who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another he's saying that we have no right to take the place of christ in the mind of another and he goes on to say, it is before his own master that he stands or he falls, and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. Believers are responsible to the Lord, and they're to seek the approval of the Lord, not the approval of the crowd around them. The approval of believers may change based on culture or circumstances. If someone comes along and says, you're totally wrong in in thinking this way about this issue, we may dig in and resist or resent them. But if we believe at the foundation that we have the approval of the Lord, then we are seeking to serve and honor him with our whole life and when someone has a conviction like that and they are saying I believe that this is the truth of the scripture and this is what God would have me do we ought to say you know what I have no right to get in the midst of that or mess around I remember somebody asking my mentor once about uh, women wearing head coverings in the church and he said explained to them that he didn't believe that it was for today and the person said well what if somebody says I feel a conviction I ought to do this he said then I believe that's beautiful right? What are, what are we supposed to do? Run up to that person and say, this isn't for today, and like rip it off their head? That's ridiculous. Who are we to judge another person's servant? One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one, Paul says, should be fully convinced in his own mind. One person believes one thing, another believes something different. Whatever we believe, we should be fully convinced, a position of conviction. Paul then says this, The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord, the one who eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God, while the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. And then he goes on to say, none of us lives to himself and none of us dies to himself. If we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So then whether we live or we die, we are the Lord's. Think about this. If somebody says, I, I refuse to eat or to drink or to observe a holiday or to do this or that, they have a conviction about this practice, and they say, this comes from the Lord. Then what they are doing is they're saying, I give this thing up, and I embrace it. I embrace giving it over, I embrace dying to myself, and I embrace the conviction of the Lord. Paul says that that person embraces that out of honor to the Lord. And if they die, then the Lord is the Lord of those who die to themselves, isn't he? And then there are those who say, I choose to eat. Or I choose to drink, or I choose to participate, or I choose to do this, or I choose to do that. And that person is living to the Lord, right? And they're saying, I have the freedom to do this. And Paul is saying that God, the Lord Jesus, is the Lord of the dead and the living, and that we are responsible to Him. One person says, I refuse to eat out of honor for the Lord, and the other says, I eat out of honor to the Lord. Jack came home last night from homecoming, and, uh, and he had this little plastic package. I love when my kids come home with them, you know, and because there's, maybe there's something really good in there. If it's excellent, it's fries. But this was rice with shrimp and salmon in there, you know. And so I was like, ah, I'm not a huge fan of rice. But he was like, ah, I don't really want it. And so I ate every last piece of shrimp right out of there and threw the rest of the stuff right in the trash. And I was like, I enjoy this shellfish to the glory of God. It was good. Thank you. I know a pastor who says, I don't eat that stuff. Why? Because it was outlawed in the Old Testament, and maybe there was a reason for that, and so I don't eat it. And I'm like, more for me, right? <laughs> do I mock that guy? Do I make fun of him because of his conviction? Or do I say he's doing it out of devotion to the Lord? Who am I to judge another person's servant? We'll come back to this uh, in... in, in Uh, the, the next time we visit this passage, which will be next week. But Paul will say that we're to not only welcome them because God has welcomed them, not to welcome them only because Christ is the Lord of the dead and the living, but we're to welcome them because they're our brothers and sisters in Christ and to welcome them because we will one day stand before God's judgment. But he sums up by saying this, Let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or a hindrance in the way of a brother. This is what I believe our vision as a church should be. And let me go back to what is funny about the unfunny joke. There's something sad where two people can... Encounter one another and someone can say I love you and I want to share the gospel with you But then as they develop theologically and arrive at a certain place in certain positions that person can then say you are now my enemy What what Paul would have us do is to demonstrate to the world that we are the children of God that we are the family of God by our love and acceptance of one another as we believe the truths of the gospel, but then we work out our practice, the way that we live it out as a community, and there will be diversity of opinion. There will be difference of opinion. There will be things that people have deep convictions on, and other people will say, I just don't think that way. What the world will see is either that we attack one another and tear one another apart, or they'll see something that moves them. I was, I was watching um, a video the other day uh, on this website, Reddit. It's just like this, it's worse than Facebook. I don't even know why I go there sometimes, but occasionally something, they'll, it'll be lovely, like, look, puppies, you know, and it's like, oh, interesting, you know, and I sit there and I say, why did I watch this? There's a sports video of people who are in competition with one another, right? Tennis players and then the opposing player gets hurt. And the guy jumps over the net, the opponent jumps over the net and runs to him and tries to help him, right? A woman trips in the Olympics trying to cross the finish line and the competitor stops and helps her across the finish line, right? The video, I knew it was coming as I'm watching. I'm like, I'm gonna, this is gonna destroy me. I know it, I know it, right? The video of the guy who was running and he fell and he tore his ligament and his dad ran down from the stands to help him, like, shouldn't, it, shouldn't we be living that all the time, that there is an intense loyalty that exists inside of the church to believers who believe that Jesus is the source of their salvation who believe that they possess no righteousness in themselves apart from what God has given them, who believe that that they need to come before the Lord and say, I need your grace in order to save me and transform me and, and make me into who I am. Shouldn't we then say, we care for one another. We love one another. We don't agree on everything. And there are some people who get certain things wrong. And there are times when people behave horribly wrong. And we ought to say, Christians don't behave that way. But when it comes down to little stuff, we ought to love and accept one another. We ought to celebrate when a revival breaks out in another church. When another church says, man, people are coming to Christ in droves here. We ought to say, good for you. Let's pray for you and celebrate what's going on. We ought to love one another and care for one another and accept and welcome because at the heart, isn't this what thrills us about the gospel? That we are unacceptable in the sight of God because of our own works, but because he loves us and cares for us, he makes us acceptable and draws us to himself and says we are family and that is a bond that will not be broken. I believe that the world judges the church regularly on our lack of love and care towards one another towards one another and it is the one area that we could easily improve just by denying ourselves seeking to honor what the Lord has said to us now this is not without complication and we'll get into that But first and foremost, we ought to be willing and able to say, God has accepted me. Therefore, I will accept my brothers and sisters in Christ. And this is great evidence of the truth of the gospel to the world that struggles to believe the truth about Jesus. Let's pray as we close. Father, I thank you for your word. I pray that as we... Uh, make a mess and we crack some eggs and we dig down to the foundations and say this is the priority and then we have all kinds of questions about what does it mean and where what, what does it apply to and what is acceptable and what is not and when do we speak up and when do we not and lord may we agree with you about what the scripture says that we're to accept one another and not split into factions that we're to love one another we're to care for one another. We pray that you would help us to go the distance spiritually, Lord, as we care for one another, and that the world would know that we are your disciples. Also that the world would know what is said in John 17, that as they see love and unity, they would say the Father has sent the Son, that Jesus truly is the Son of God if he can Create a group of people who conduct themselves this way towards one another. Father, I pray that as a church that we would be compassionate and firm when people fail in sin. And when people struggle in faith that we would exhort them and encourage them to walk in the truth, Lord. But where we live in this area of it is not entirely clear what the scriptures would have us do. May we accept and love one another despite our differences. We pray that compassion would be first and foremost in our hearts and minds because when you call a person to yourself, it is your compassion and your care that drives you to it. And so may we welcome each other the way you have welcomed us. We pray this, Lord, knowing that you're good. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and sing a closing song together.